Please be seated for our Bible readings. Three readings today. The first reading is taken from the book of Job, chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. In this reading, Job responds to the judgment of his three friends by demanding for his case to be heard by God. Look, my eye has seen all this. My ear has heard and understood it. What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you. But I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to argue my case with God. As for you, you whitewash with lies. All of you are worthless physicians. If you would only keep silent, that would be your wisdom. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is also taken from the book of Job, chapter 42, beginning at verse 1. In this reading, Job responds to God, both marveling at his greatness whilst also repenting. Then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you declare to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is the word of the Lord. And the third reading is taken from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 11, beginning at verse 32. In this reading, the writer speaks of some of the heroes of faith in the Old Testament before reminding us of the great pioneer and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom 
the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better so that they would not, without us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray together? Lord, as we gather in this place, we come to you in humility this morning. We pray as I speak your word, you would season it with salt, that what is of me would wash away, but that what is of you would sustain us for our life to come. In Jesus' name, and for his glory. Amen. Life is difficult, wrote the psalmist. Remember this verse, the days of our life are 70 years or perhaps 80 if we're strong. Even then their span is only toil and trouble. Life is difficult, wrote the psychologist M. Scott Peck in his book, if you've ever read it, The Road Less Travelled. It's a truth we all know, isn't it? Anyone who's ever fought an addiction or wept over a troubled child, anyone who's discovered a malignancy or cried out for justice, anyone who's ever faced the end of a loving relationship or coped with a disability or stood in grief at the graveside knows the difficulty that life can bring. Even people who seem carefree and almost peaceful on the surface, are often facing tough battles every day. For some of you, as I, as I look out to you, for some of you who are watching online, I know life is very difficult. You're facing some of the biggest trials, the biggest fight of your life. And as the writer to the Hebrews said, it's very easy to lose heart. It's very easy because it's very wearing. For some of you, you're watching loved ones with huge struggles and you often feel helpless to know what to do. Very easy to lose heart because it's very wearing. What the stories of this book remind us of is life is difficult. For we read even amongst the great heroes of faith, there were those simply described as others. 
who also faced great trial and tribulation. For those who might not know, chapter 11, if you like, is it's kind of like a hall of fame. It's kind of like a who's who of the heroes of the Old Testament faith. If you read it, you'd see people like Abel, people like Noah, people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, people like Moses and Gideon and Rahab and David and Samuel. The list kind of goes on as this chain of faithful people to God throughout the generations. And then we read others. I don't know if you can remember it. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death, they were sawn in two, they were killed by the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. The others. And of course, if you know anything of the story of the greats that were mentioned before the others, you would not have to travel very far in their stories to also find accounts of great suffering. Abel murdered by his brother Cain. Noah ostracized and ridiculed by the people. Joseph abused by his brothers and leading to slavery, false accusation and imprisonment. Moses, banishment for 40 years. Rahab, a prostitute. We could go on. We're in week two of a four-part series looking and exploring some of the most contagious and deadly viruses that attack the Christian faith. And our guide is this book of Hebrews. This book that's rich in theology, but which is interrupted by a number of pastoral appeals that were relevant to the community to which the writer was writing that then become the main focus of the book. And this morning we look at this, this virus that has kind of been attacking the Christian faith right from almost day one. The virus of suffering, which for every generation is difficult not least the church community that this was written to, who were facing trials of adversity, humiliation, lack, loss of homes, and imprisonment. And when it comes to suffering, there are two paths we can take. Here's the first path. It's the path that I call the path of why. Why is this happening to me, God? God, if you love me, why are you allowing this to happen? Can kind of lead us to, to question God's existence and his goodness and his faithfulness, which the atheists then seize upon. It's actually, if you think about it, the path expressed by many of the Old Testament writers, particularly if you read the wisdom literature and the prophetic books. You see, the three great cries, if we think about it, of the lament, the three great cries of lament of the psalmists and the prophets. Why? Why have you forsaken me, God? The words that Jesus expressed from his lips on the cross. It's the, the questions and the cries of David and Habakkuk. How long? How long will this go on? Or the other one, where have you gone, God? Almost asking God, are you absent from my life? Have you forgotten my life? 
You see, when we, when we think about it, if we read this book, we find all the best arguments against the existence of God and his goodness and his faithfulness in this book. And the biblical writers, I find, ask them better than the atheists. And then we come to the man who suffered the most injustice in the Old Testament. The man from the land of us. The man, if you read his story, who's described as blameless and righteous. The greatest, he's called, of all the people of the East. He was Job. Job was given it all, and in those famous words, it was all taken away from him. Literally, overnight. How bad was Job's suffering? Well, if you know the story, you'll know that the scale of Job's suffering was so great that his three best friends didn't even recognize him. And they were so overcome with grief when they saw him that they simply sat there in utter silence for one week. If there was anyone who was to question God and his goodness and his faithfulness and his existence amidst his suffering, it was Job. And if you know the story of the book, you'll know over the course of the book, Job then does battle with his three so-called best friends. And he reaches the stage not once but twice, once of which we heard this morning, where he wants his day of reckoning. He wants his day of reckoning in court with the Almighty. You see, Job wants to make it clear to God what a lousy job he's done of the world. We should be very careful what we ask for because Job gets what he asked for. The greatest on the earth versus the creator of the world. Then God speaks. It's actually the longest speech of God recorded in the Bible. And it has nothing to do with answering Job's why question. Instead, God simply says, shall we compare resumes? In response to God's speech, it renders Job speechless. Well, you would, wouldn't you? A fault finder comparing and contending with the Almighty. And Job lowers his frame in humility, admitting his powerlessness and helplessness to see what the big picture looks like. And then God reveals some of that big picture to Job and it blows his mind. And as we heard earlier, it leads to Job repenting and trusting in God. In once more those famous words that before I'd heard of you, but now I see you. You see, somewhere over the course of that conversation, Job switched paths to a better path. You see, the why path is a circular path. You do go somewhere, but you end up back in the same place. Again and again. It can torment you. It can eat away at you like it did with Job. It can be deeply wearing and soul destroying. If the greatest on earth, Job did not get his answer. 
then we might have to face too that we might not unless it's some obvious discretion by ourselves. What Job realized, what the great Psalms of Lament teach us is that we have to switch paths to a better path. For lamenting never leaves us in the miry pit. Lamenting moves us out. It moves us to switch paths, away from the why path to travel down what I call the wonder path, to trust in and praise God. See, the Bible that those Hebrew believers had with the Old Testament scriptures. In the New Testament, the question of why never appears as a route to take. What changed? You see, what, what changed from these great Old Testament writers who, who asked the question repeatedly? What changed from them to the New Testament writers? What changed was they'd seen that better path firsthand. Described in this book of Hebrews as a better salvation, a better hope, a better covenant with better promises, a better country, and as we heard, a better resurrection. They'd seen in Jesus Christ the one who's described as the way and whose first followers were described as people of the way. They'd seen in Jesus Christ the way maker, this route to this better path. Not a path of why, but of wonder. Not a path of wondering why in terms of curiosity and doubt, but a path of wonder, marveling at who God is really. The one who is Jesus Christ. The one who we would read in this book of Hebrews better than the the prophets and the angels and Moses and Joshua. Better than the Old Testament priesthood and the Old Covenant and the sacrifice system. Better even than the great heroes of the faith. They'd seen, if you like, God incarnate in Jesus Christ who'd left the country of heaven to journey to their destination of earth. They'd seen in Jesus Christ God embodied, not absent in their trials, but very near and present in their fears. They'd seen in Jesus Christ God in human flesh, not indifferent to their pain, but troubled with them in their tears. And they'd seen in Jesus Christ God in person, not unconcerned for their welfare, but deeply caring for their well-being. As Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 1, blessed be the Father of all mercies and the God of all consolation who consoles us in all our affliction. It meant that their suffering didn't lead them to question God's very existence and his goodness and his faithfulness. What it meant was their suffering actually reminded them of proof of God's existence. Precisely because they'd seen firsthand how God had suffered for them. As he agonized and sweat drops of blood in Gethsemane. As he endured the, the shame of the cross as a naked spectacle and as a common criminal. As he faced the hostility of the taunting crowds and spitting soldiers. As he cried out in pain from his shattered body. And as he embraced the torture of separation from his father. 
And then God raised him back from the dead to seat him at the right hand of God. It was the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ which changed everything. It led those New Testament writers away from the path of why to the path of wonder. Of all the heroes of faith who'd become that great cloud of witnesses, they had eyes for only one, Jesus Christ. And we read to consider him, the pioneer and the perfecter. As one translation puts it, the champion in the exercise of faith and the one who brought that faith to complete expression. You see, it's by walking the path of wonder in Jesus Christ we overcome the virus of suffering. So let me leave you this morning with three thoughts. Hopefully as a word of comfort to those suffering and their carers. And there are many. And the challenge to the rest of us as a church. Let me leave you with three actions that the writer of the Hebrews points out at the beginning of chapter 12. If you like, as a kind of vaccine to overcome the virus of suffering. Here's the first Remember, you are not alone. If you're able and if you take that walk along the cliff path from Plemont to Groner, about after about 20 minutes, you'll come across a bench. It's a bench scarred with sorrow and seeped with blood from a young man murdered on an island beach in Thailand. And you'll see on that bench an oak plank with these words etched into it. Never let a person sit alone. Which was a mantra of the late David Miller to which that bench is dedicated. As the writer to the Hebrews knew, Jesus Christ did sit alone. As he hung on a cross so that we would know that we would never sit alone from God in our pain. We are not alone. You are not alone, ever. And the challenge to the, to the rest of us as a church is to never let a person sit alone in their suffering. To be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. As Paul would say, continuing that verse in 2 Corinthians, that we may be able to console those who are in any affliction with the consolation with which we ourselves are consoled by God. Love is spelt W-I-T-H, with. A word of encouragement, a kind action, a simple gesture can make an exponential difference. You are not alone. Second, in our suffering, in your suffering, you determine the path you walk and your destiny. The virus of suffering will either crush your faith or it will renew your faith in God. You go one of two ways. But as a psychiatrist and concentration camp survivor, Victor Frankl famously noticed, even in the worst of our experiences imaginable, we determine our response. It's what I call our what now moment. 
to paraphrase Paul in his most pastoral letter, the deeper the cracked jar of clay, the greater the impact for the light of Jesus Christ to shine through in this broken world. We all run different races, the writer says. My race is different from yours, yours is different from mine, but we're all called to run the race that is set before us. And the challenge for each of us as the church is to say, we all run different races. Your race is different from mine, mine is different from yours, but we're all called to run the race that is set before us. So let us run that race on the fuel of God's love. As part of that great cloud of witnesses on earth together with the unseen ones in the heavenly, we determine the path we will walk and our destiny. And thirdly, in our suffering and in everything, consider him. You see, suffering's exhausting for those who suffer. It's exhausting for those who watch. It's very easy in that struggle to grow weary. It's not difficult to lose heart. That's why we always have to consider him. To weigh up in our minds and remind ourselves continually of Jesus Christ, the one who's described in one translation as the champion in the exercise of faith and the one who brought faith to complete expression. Because it's only in him we find the peace and the strength to overcome. And the challenge for the rest of us as the church is to be those people who continually remind ourselves to consider him. The example of Jesus Christ, for then we walk the path of wonder. Then we never lose sight of where we are headed to reach the finish line. Shall we pray together? Lord Jesus, who created the better way by dying for us, help us to walk the path of wonder in you, to find the presence of your love, your peace, and your hope. In your name, and for your glory. Amen.